I want to invite you to the one event that I'll be at this year. If you want to hang out with me and hang out with a bunch of other awesome investors, then you need to get to Flip Hacking Live. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be speaking on stage. And this is the only event that I go to, the only public event that I go to that's open to everyone. And this year, it's being held in Orlando uh, on October 15th through the 17th. And we are going to have some of the really the best investors from around the country on stage sharing what they do. We're going to talk about where to get access to the deal sources that are working in today's market, how to raise private money fast to fund your deals, how to tap into the sales and negotiation tactics to double your signed contracts and learn exactly what to say to sellers. And we're also going to talk about which marketing channels are driving the best leads, how to hire, train and manage your team so that you can scale effectively and profitably, how to get access to the tools and the lenders and the mail houses and other systems that you need, and also how to organize and structure your business to run without you. Guys, this event is the event to go to this year, and I'm going to be there. I really, I know we're all dying to get out of our house. So if you're going to go to event this year, go to anything, this is the event that you need to go to. And if you buy your tickets now, you can go to juststartrealestate.com forward slash flip hacking live. That's juststartrealestate.com forward slash flip hacking live at the end of July. So for the rest of June and all of July, if you get your tickets through that link, through my link, and send me proof that you bought it uh, via email, you can email me at mike at juststartrealestate.com. That's mike at juststartrealestate.com. I'm going to pick one person who I am going to pay for their hotel while they're there. So I will pay for the night of the 15th, and the night of the 16th. And on the 17th, that's the last day. I'm assuming most people are going home. So I'm going to pay for two nights at a hotel. I'm going to pick one person who went through my link and you got to be able to prove that you bought the ticket. Show me the email. Show me that uh, you did that. And I'm going to pick one random person who I will pay for their hotel for two nights while you're there. So go to juststartrealestate.com forward slash flip hacking live. Get your tickets, guys. This is the event. I'm telling you, I've said it on stage in past years. If you don't go to this event, I seriously wonder whether or not you actually want to do this business because this event has launched millionaire businesses. It has. I've seen it. I know the people personally. This is the event you need to go to. So it's in Orlando, October 15th through the 17th, juststartrealestate.com forward slash flip hacking live. See you there, guys. you transitioned into different layers, kind of yeah. like you've done, you've transitioned. What I found is that my passion today is really teaching. I still do some deals. It's not my main focus, but I'm focused on teaching other people. And that's where my, my joy comes from today. Yeah. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey guys, thank you for joining me here on Just Our Real Estate. I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you choosing this podcast. There are literally a trillion podcasts and you're listening to me and that's cool. I don't take that for granted. If you've never listened to the show before, welcome. I hope that we uh, meet your expectations or exceed them, hopefully. Uh, and if you've been here before and you're back for more, then that means you must like it. So uh, hopefully we continue the winning streak that we're on. 
Today, I have a really, really great guest in uh, on the show. It's someone that I've interviewed in the past, and it's been years since I've talked to her. And she's a really, really impressive lady, um, just smart as can be, knows this industry, good persons, good ethics, good morals, exactly the kind of person I love to bring on. And uh, she has a lot to share. She was super, super giving with her knowledge and her expertise in some certain areas of real estate. And I could not be happier to have back on the show after years away, Sharon Vornholt. Uh, Sharon is awesome. Uh, she's the owner of Innovative Property Solutions in Louisville, Kentucky. She owned and operated a successful home inspection business for 17 years while also, also investing part-time. Uh, she was also originally a rehabber and a buy-and-hold landlord, but when the market crashed in 2008, she became an accidental wholesaler and full-time investor. Sharon is the creator of the Louisville Gals real estate blog and the popular podcast, Let's Talk Real Estate Investing. Sharon hosts several live events each year and is a regular speaker at other events across the country. And when I tell you, you should pay attention to what she has to say today. That's an understatement. She really brings the goods and really, really delivers some value bombs. So uh, without any further ado, guys, uh, turn up your volumes and let's take a listen to Sharon Vornholt. Hey, Sharon, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. It's been a long time, too long, but I appreciate that you came back. Well, thanks so much for having me. Yes, it's been a while. I know it's been a long while. We were talking before we went live here. Um, time just flies. It really does. It's been it's not been several months or even a few years. It's been like a handful of years since we've mm-hmm. talked last. And that's a shame because I really, really enjoyed meeting you years ago and finding out about your business and, and just how you do things and your perspective. I think you're awesome. You're impressive. And I really enjoyed uh, meeting you and getting to know you. And then there was like these period of years where like we just... We just lost contact. So I don't know, like old friends, now we're back again. And it's just like nothing ever happened. So again, thanks for doing this. Um, for And I've done enough episodes where I've actually archived. I know you have a, a podcast. I've actually archived episodes and they're on a different feed. So in case people have not uh, heard the episode that you did a long time ago or the couple that you did, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, some of your background and kind of catch them up to a little bit more about who you are and when, where you come from. Okay, so we were talking before the show. This really dates me. So I I went to my first RIA meeting in 1998. So I had another business, actually a home inspection business. So uh, I had that business for 17 years. And about um, seven years in, uh, a realtor that I've met said, you want to go to a RIA meeting? And I said something like, what's a RIA meeting? And so I went to that meeting and I knew that that was what I was meant to do. However, I I went along for 10 whole years uh, looking back on a rather painful 10 years where you're trying to <laughs> do two businesses and I was investing part time and I had a plan. So my plan was I was going to rehab a couple of ha- a house or two and then buy a rental. So I went along on that plan and then 2008 happened. So we all know what happened around that time. And that was the year I closed the home inspection business. Perfect timing for that. And I went full full time in real estate and I became an accidental wholesaler. Now, as I look back on it, it's kind of comical because all those years I had never had a single thought about wholesaling. Mm -hmm. But I found myself with a couple of houses uh, that I had planned to rehab. And you're looking around and no retail buyers can get a loan. It was it was a scary time. Yeah. And I knew I was going to have, you know, six months or so rehabbing and who knew how long the hold period would be. So I just called up uh, investors. I was in the enviable position then, which I didn't really fully realize that I could just call somebody like Mike and say, hey, Mike, 
got a couple of houses. You want to buy a couple of houses? And he went, yeah, sure. Yeah. And I thought, boy, that was easy. So <laughs> wholesaling is really not easy when you're starting out. But for me, it was, it was a natural transition. And I was, my strength was always marketing. Yeah. So um, I was good at sourcing deals. Okay. Yeah. It's funny. We have a very similar um, uh, start into wholesaling. I never, I didn't even know what wholesaling was really when I started doing it and I did it. It was a little bit different need, but I had a need. Uh, I couldn't, I just couldn't flip the the deals that were coming in. I, I, I told the story a million times on podcast, so I won't bore the listeners, but essentially my contracting crew and my realtor sort of messed up really bad and I had to move on from them. So I started getting some deals in that I couldn't handle and I just called some friends who I knew flipped houses and said, mm-hmm. same thing. Do you want these? And they were like, yeah, I'll take them. And I made almost as much as I would have made had I been flipping them yes. um, because they just had different numbers, I guess. And I said the same thing, like, oh my gosh, that was so easy. That was awesome. That was easy. And the thing that I learned during that period of time, I, I look back over how many deals I passed over and you probably did this too, because yeah. I had a model. I, I mean, I followed my model. And I look back now and I cringe, but I quickly learned or I learned from my buyers that during that period of time, they were only interested in houses that would cash flow as as a backup plan. Mm -hmm. So I had to change my model a little bit. It made me think about real estate in a whole different way. And one of those things was with landlords. So if I had a deal that maybe wasn't a home run for a, a rehabber. Yeah. Had landlords on my list that they weren't going to to gut the whole house and yeah. do everything, and they thought they and they weren't getting a drop dead deal. One day they'd have to do all the work, or yep. maybe not. But so it was. It really opened my eyes to a whole new way of doing business. Yeah, it was a revelation for me too because in my market, at least, and maybe yours is the same. There's a lot of landlords that really don't care about equity. They care about cash flow. They so care if about they, cash flow. yeah, if they buy the house and whether they renovate it or not, if there's really not much equity left in it, they don't care as long as the ROI is there. So you're right; these will never work for a flipper, but they'll work for a landlord. And and that was a revelation to me too when I started wholesaling. Like, wow, I have all the both of these markets available to me. And you're right; I, there were so many houses that I, even if the numbers worked, I didn't want to be in that neighborhood for whatever reason. Right, right. And some people don't care. That's the neighborhood they want to be in for whatever reason. So yeah, it, wholesaling to me, it also scratched an itch for me because I, you know, and I'm not, mm-hmm. flipping is awesome and I teach people to flip. I did it for a number of years, but I got really burned out on appraisers and mortgage companies and even like the end retail buyers. Like just, yes. it's a lot, of, I get, you got a lot of fatigue from that kind of stress. And I just realized I cut those people out of my life. This is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So both both those are our jobs, wholesaling yeah. and rehabbing. And while I love the create creative aspect of rehabbing, that can be a dangerous path because real estate's all about the numbers. So for me, if I could wholesale a house and just turn that house, it got to the point where I tell the story where I knew my buyers so well. And I had a handful of, you know, six, seven buyers that bought everything. And I would know when I was at the house who I thought was going to buy the house. And I would call them from the porch and say, you know, I'm going to give you a a 24 hour head start. Come look at the house. Tell me if you want it. They would call me from the house and say, I'll take it. And I'll say, would you get my lockbox? I didn't, I didn't even drive to the house the second time. Wow. It was the craziest thing. But yeah. it was, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, it was a great time to be a wholesaler. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that that sort of answers a question that people ask a lot is real estate cyclical, right? There's there it's it always goes up and down. It always will. But with COVID and, and all this stuff that's going on, everyone's like, well, if the market turns, 
can I still wholesale? And it's like, yeah, you can yes. wholesale, you can flip in both markets. You just, if you, you just have to know where you are in that cycle. If you're on the way down, just realize mm-hmm. that when you're getting things under contract. So in my opinion, I don't know, you tell me if you agree with this, but in my opinion, you can be a real estate investor in any market cycle, any market cycle. You can, and we have an investor here, Mike, that is, I want to say he's 80-ish. He's been, he was the president of the board of realtors, so he's a realtor and an investor, and he'll always say, well... I've made money when interest rates were 3%. I've made money when interest rates were 18%. I just did it differently. Yeah. And that is really the the secret. So you have to know your your buyers too. That's that's a secret. So one thing that changed in 2008 that could change now is some of my best buyers had W2 jobs. They were full out rehabbers but they had W-2 income, they were engineers. So that was the key in them keeping, being able to get financing and your buy and hold landlords, they never quit buying. It's like an addiction for some of these people. If if it cash flows and they like equity, but if it cash flows, they're all in. Yeah, and if they were in the game before 2008, especially if they've been in for a while, they recognized that 2008, 2009, 2010. I mean, part of me, as a real estate investor, who also has rentals, I would love to be in that market again. Yeah. Now, people were being hurt and obviously losing their house. That's not awesome. But just from a purely real estate perspective, it's a great time to buy. I mean, it's like stock market, right? You don't buy stocks when they're at the all-time high. You buy when they're low. So that's like buying low stocks. And, and that was fantastic. I, I really didn't start buying rentals until closer to 2014. So I was toward of as things were starting to go back up. But if that happens again, there's a, there's something that can be accomplished in all the markets. You just have to know where you are and mm-hmm. you can make money in any market. So what did your business look like? 2008 is when you kind of went into that wholesaling model. What did your business look like for the next three, four, five years? What were you doing? Well, it was, the whole world was on sale. So yeah. I, it was good. I look back, um, I, I kept kept track of everything. And sometimes I forget just how, how many deals I did back then, because it was just, it was a constant stream. And I didn't have any really fancy systems at that time. But what I was good at, like I said, was marketing. I could generate the leads and I'd been doing it long enough that I could uh, close the deals. And I knew what a good deal looked like. And I think that was one thing that I would encourage all investors to really pay attention to is don't take a marginal deal to somebody that's that's a real hard, that's really an investor because you will lose all credibility. And that's why, probably why you were successful at wholesaling. It was certainly why I was successful because they knew if I called them and I said I had a deal, they knew it was a deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. The buyer's list and that, you know, I've always told my team, if you can't like with a straight face, like justify the price that we're asking. Like yeah. you have to be able to justify it because I don't want to look stupid when you put that out there and they go, well, how, how could you possibly ask that much? Or why do you think this is a deal? And I can't answer that question. What am I doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, we do put that out there. But, you know, as you do this for a while, you start building a buyer's list and you know you have certain buyers with certain criteria and margins. And we have mm-hmm. a couple of hedge uh, hedge funds on our, on our list that I know wow. They'll buy houses in areas that locals won't, and they'll buy them at prices that locals won't because it's all numbers on a spreadsheet for them. Mm-hmm. So when you get those kind of buyers, like I sell to them where I couldn't probably justify what they're buying it for. but And they're also very, uh, they just go, tell me the price. Like they, they don't want to be my friend. They don't want to get to know me. <laughs> yeah. They don't have a, a respect or lack of respect. It's just very, very, very sterile. And they just go, tell mm-hmm. me the number. No. 
And then we'll go, what about this? And they go, yes. And that's it. Like they don't, mm-hmm. and they're paying way more than they should, in my opinion. But, you know, they they want to make 7% on their money. And where locals want to make 15% on their money. So that's they, the big they difference. They have a model. Yeah, they have a model. They have, exactly. They have a model. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I tell people too, like your model isn't everybody else's model. I tell the story. This was, this was probably the craziest thing that's ever happened. We put a, a property out to our buyers list for the price that made sense to us. And it got bid up, right? Bidding war. I'm sure you've had this many times. But- I, I was surprised. I didn't see how people were going to make money. So it got bid up, bid up, bid up, bid up. And then we ended up selling it. And I ran the numbers and I said to my, my dispositions guy who, who was interfacing with them, I said, I, I flipped for years. I, I, there's no way they make money on this. It's not possible. I don't care if they have their own crew. I don't care if they're using their own money. It's not possible to make money. So I went to that closing and I don't go to a lot of closings, but I went to the closing and I said, you know, thank you. appreciate your business. It's awesome. I have got to ask you, I am just so curious, how in the world can you pay this for this house? I don't see how you're going to make money. And he said, we're not. It, this We have a, we have crews, several crews. We're a little slow. I need to keep my crews busy or they're going to go somewhere else. So we're wow. going to do this deal. And he called it a bridge deal. I'm going to do this deal. I'll probably break even, maybe make a couple thousand dollars, but it'll keep my crew working. It'll keep me paying them. And then we'll go on to the next job. So that was when sort of the light bulb went off for me and said, I need to stop trying to predict what people will do put properties out there for a decent price and just realize sometimes it'll get bid up and I don't know why. And they have different, you know, different circumstances. So it was interesting. So, so you went into wholesaling accidentally, Mm -hmm. 2008 kind of did that Mm -hmm. for a while. When did you start? I know you've had your blog for a long time, the Louisville uh, gal (laughs) real estate blog. When did that start and how and why, what was the, the origin of that? Well, it started in 2010. Obviously, we didn't know anything about naming anything in 2010. (laughs) So I get a lot of flack over that name. But I did it really. um, You know, you always look back at your first of anything, and it's always kind of cringeworthy. But um, I just did it out of a need to to teach people, to try to get them to, I would tell stories about my experiences and hope that they could uh, avoid some of the landmines. What I found, so I started the blog in 2010 and then the podcast around 2013. Once again, absolutely no clue about anything. Just jump in and did it. But And and so that's called Let's Talk Real Estate Investing, which is a significantly better name. Over time, what I discovered is, you know, when you've been in this business as long as I have, you you transitioned into different layers, kind of like you've done, you've transitioned. What I found is that my passion today is really teaching. I still do some deals. It's not my main focus, but I'm focused on teaching other people. And that's where my my joy comes from today. Yeah. And you mentioned just jumping in. I, I swear to you, I, I've met so many investors over the years and some of them really, really smart. We've we talked about, you know, Bill Allen, he's a good friend of mine, smart investor. Mm-hmm. I've met investors that weren't as smart as Bill, to say to say the least, right? And it honestly, I the common thread that I see be, through a lot of the real estate investors that I've known that have had success is they're willing to just jump in and do it. They don't mm-hmm. overthink it. You know, they learn what they have yeah. to learn and they're smart about it. But you know, if you analyze this to death and go to a lawyer and ask them what, they, like, you won't do anything. You, you, so you, you have to. You'll never do it. You have to just mm-hmm. jump in and go for it. And you mentioned your podcast, uh, Let's Talk Real Estate Investing, which you've been doing about the, as long as this podcast has been around. I think I started in late two thousand. 2013. I think you, you already had yours going at I, that point. I think that's how we originally met. Yeah. Was we were in the early, yep. the early years. Yeah, we were in the early. Exactly. So as far as teaching goes, and you've realized that that's kind of your passion, how do you do that? How do you go about that? Like, what's the, the focus in your teaching? And what, what kind of person typically comes to you and, and that you help? 
Well, there's a couple of different different people. Um, since um, I love teaching marketing and branding because I tell people you don't need to know how to negotiate if you don't know how to get deals. So you it always, whatever <laughs> your true. marketing is, or you don't need closing, they'll tell you how to close a house. So you don't have to worry about that, but you've got to get leads coming in the door. Yeah. So I love teaching marketing. Real estate investors kind of just go tone deaf when you say the word branding. Mm-hmm. But I tell them marketing is how you get leads, but branding is why they choose you. Yeah. So you've got to do the two simultaneously. And so I like teaching that, but I found uh, one of the things I also discovered around 2008 was probate investing. I had no clue what that was, and there was n- virtually no information. And I'm not kidding you, Mike, when I would say I've I put together a letter and would send it out and they maybe got two letters. And yeah. Today, people moan and groan. They say, but they got 30 letters. And I said, okay, let me think about this. If you've got 6,000 realtors in your area looking at each deal on the MLS and you've got 30 letters over here, which one is better? Yeah. Because most 90% of your competition will stop at or beyond your third mailing. So that's the thing you got need to remember. Everybody mails for two months and then they start to fade away. Mm-hmm. Yet uh, it's been my experience that something like 80, 81% of your deals comes at or beyond your fifth mailing. So you just have to stay in the game. Yeah. You have to know that direct mail is a long-term play. Will you get deals off the first mailing? Yep. Likely. Yep. But you're going to see this tumbleweed effect. So in teaching marketing, it's no different with probates. People say, well, if they're not going to call me for so many months, why wouldn't I just wait? And the reason you don't wait is because of branding. You want to be there. And and my overriding, I'm a believer in when it comes to probates, you send a very personalized white computer generated letter that says, dear Mike. It doesn't say dear homeowner or whatever. But my, I, I have a letter sequence and it, it's kind of uh, the, if you look at what I'm saying to them is that I'll be here when you're ready. I yeah. know this is a difficult time. And if you come at it from that viewpoint and, and you, you need to understand the probate process in that if a house, if a probate's been open and there's property in a probate, they have to sell that house. It's not optional. They have to pay the creditors and all this stuff has to happen before the heirs get whatever they've inherited. Right. So these are very motivated sellers and um, they need your help. They have the business of settling the estate to take care of. Yeah. So as it relates to the marketing, I know you mentioned doing several steps uh, marketing. Do you typically, and I don't know if this is specific to probate or if you kind of would tell anyone who's doing any kind of marketing, but do you change not only the the message i'm sure changes but do you go from like a letter to a postcard to something else or do you just stick with letters what do you find works best in that situation well for years years early on everything was letters and then what i found is that in my area post oversized postcards work as well in every niche in my area except for probates okay now they are no one whose mama has died wants to get a phone call or a, or a postcard. Yeah. Now, the exception to that rule is I personally choose not to mail to surviving spouses. It upsets them. I don't do it. And But what I do think you can do is put those people into a separate list and eight, nine months down the road, then you can send a start a postcard campaign that says, hey, I'm looking for property in your area without ever mentioning yeah. the probate because a lot of those people – and this is especially true for women. They look around, they've got this big house, they've got grass to cut, 
Mm-hmm. So somewhere in the next year or so, they may decide to uh, downsize. Yeah. So, but there for me, it's I'm I'm always about the the situation, what happened, and how to not upset people, but how to help people at yeah. the same time. You know what? I, so first of all, just to clarify, when you're doing your probate, your mailings, so you mm-hmm. are sorting out what appears to be or is for in fact a spouse. And then maybe even specifically a subset, if it's a woman or not. Um, I'll tell you what, in a world, I, I say this a lot, and I, I this is just continuing on a trend that I've, I've had lately, certainly on this show, and it's by design, good people, right? So in a world where you have investors sending 5,000 postcards to the same person saying, I want to buy your house. Did someone die? I'll take it, you know, cash, close fast, no repair. Like this completely like insensitive, aggressive marketing in that world where now you're taking the time, energy, and let's just face it, time is money to sort that out, to be respectful and sort of softer with the spouse who's lost someone because you know that's particularly difficult. That's awesome. Like, that's just like, you know, that kind of, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, karma, whatever, is just good because you clearly care, right? Like, you could just blast out. They, they might sell it to you if you sent them something. They might be in such a bad state that they just don't know what to do and they just do it because no one's there to advise them or they're just so upset. But in a world where people just aggressively market to anybody, regardless of what happened to them, I, I think that's really cool that you do that. I've never heard of anyone separating that out like that, but I love it. Well, I learned one of my very first mailings, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So um, we had a process where the uh, my assistant, there's no shortcut to this. You, these are local leads and you have to to really know if they're a viable lead. You In my area, you look them up on the tax assessor site. And that's where you discover that Helen and John owned the house and John passed away. So yeah. that's, that's how you discover that. But, um, you know, she would sort out these leads for me and then... In the beginning, we didn't know to do that. Our first couple of mailings, and I had a, a elderly lady call me crying. She thought we were coming after her house, and that's when it hit me. Okay, this is this is not something's wrong here. Right. So it was early on, and then I just made the decision. People say, "Well, you're leaving money on the table, maybe," but I don't leave my integrity. I, oh, you know, I keep my integrity. So. Good. so I do, I do think that you can take those people and, and the men are more likely to stay in the home, but we, we separate out surviving spouses, put them in a list and somewhere around nine, 10 months, then we start with a totally different mailing. It's more like your normal postcard mailing. Hey, we're looking for a property in your neighborhood. If you're interested or you know someone, give us a call. But no, in probates, I really believe that's why I was so successful is that I was very mindful of their situation. You don't pick up the phone and call somebody who's lost somebody they love dearly. Now, it's okay to touch base with them after you, if they've initiated contact with you. Yeah. It's okay, or send them a text. Or, but with I do that with letters. So I'm a very, I tell people I'm the Libra poster child. But I, <laughs> I like to just, you know, just say, hey, I'll be here when you're ready. And the other thing that uh, probates need is they need, they reach a point where they almost always can't finish cleaning out the house. So that's always in my letters. You know, if you need help with, you know, disposing of unwanted property, we'll take care of that for you. You can just take what you want and, and be done. And 
oftentimes that is the, you know, there's always something they, they yep. want to sell the house, but then there's something that's the something yep. is they just can't deal with it. And I, I went through that with my mom's estate. Oh, she would, she's probably rolling over in her grave that I talk about this, but <laughs> which I, I, you know, she loved her sofa. It was, she loved it. She loved it. But at the end of the day, when she passed away, it had no monetary value, but sending my mother's sofa just disposing of it was gut wrenching for me yeah. because it's it's just that way for people. They know these are their parents, usually parents, prized possessions, but they have no monetary value, yeah. and they have. So if you can say, "I'll I'll take that off your hands," yeah, they're like done deal. Yep. Yeah. I, you know what? Gold bomb that you dropped. Two things. Uh, well, the gold bomb was uh, that you put in your letters that is some verbiage that indicates that if they can't finish cleaning out the house or if they have gotten all the things out that they want, you'll you'll take care of the rest. They don't have to yeah. worry about it. Yeah. Like it, it's so that's huge. That's a huge tip. Because mm-hmm. uh, think about all the other probate people who are just blasting out postcards, getting on the phone, calling them. Hey, you know, I'll buy your house. I know you had a, a loved one pass away, whatever you're like thinking a little bit more like they are or you're you're trying to you're trying to come from a position of helping them with their actual problem and not mm-hmm. just thinking about how much money you're going to make when you get yeah. this house from them and i think that's huge i really do mm-hmm. I, I i can't i can't stress enough i i had a situation just to sort of drive that point home i hired a sales guy he's my partner now but when he started off he called me at one of the first deals i sent him on or one of the first leads i sent him on to the appointment and he's like all right i'm at this house uh, this lady is older. She doesn't have any relatives or any family. She has no clue what this house is worth. I mean, nothing. Whatever I tell her is what she'll believe. She believes me. She likes me. He's like, I don't know what to do. And I said, dude, you you had a number when you went in there. You had mm-hmm. a number that you thought was a fair price that you would go with. I said, yeah. just tell her that number. Don't That's don't go number. lower because you. I said, you have to be able to look at yourself tomorrow when you wake up in mm-hmm. the morning and you are not going to be able to do that if you take advantage of someone who just doesn't know any better and they're trusting you. So I, I live by the same rules. I've left money on the table. I know I have. I know there's deals yeah. that we could have squeezed it a little more. It just isn't the right thing to do in most situations. Mm-hmm. So we don't do it. So I love I love people that do that. It wasn't prompted, obviously. I, I just, I let you talk and then your, you know, your ethics come through. And I think that's important. And people sometimes forget about that. They get so focused on the money and there's a lot of money to be made in real estate that they just, they, they abandon their ethics for, for the quick transaction. You know, they think very transactionally mm-hmm. instead of like you talk about branding. Why do people come back? Why do people trust you? Why do people refer you? Not because mm-hmm. of that one transaction where you just got all the money out of it, you could moved on. It's the way you treat people and the, and mm-hmm. the way that you conduct your business and yourself. So, well, and you never know who that person knows and that may need your services. So, um, if you walk away feeling one hundred percent good that you know, you certainly you have to get a a, a deal. It's about mm-hmm. the numbers. Yep. But if you've done done right by that person, uh, and especially with probates and what is argued, you know, undeniably one of the worst times of their life often. Yeah. If you can be there for them and help them through the process, because oftentimes they don't understand the process. Right. They don't they don't know what's going on. One would be to to be a source of information, to um, show up as the expert. That gives you a, a no like and trust factor like no other. And they want to be heard. That's the other thing I would say. A lot of investors say, I, I don't know how to talk to these people. It's just strange or it's creepy. Well, it's not really because you will know who the person is that passed away. Mm-hmm. And if you walk in the house and you know it was dad and there's golf clubs in the corner, you say, oh, Mike, was your dad a golfer? Was he the golfer? 
or, oh, was your mom the cook when you see all the cookbooks? Mm -hmm. So there's always an opening line and then you just have to be quiet and let them talk. They, they, they need to talk about their situation and then they're ready to get down to business. They, they, they just want to be heard. Yeah, it's such a, I mean, I think all sellers want to be heard, but I think it's such a different animal when it comes to mm -hmm. probate. I, in my opinion, and you're, you're the probate expert, I'm not, but uh, what I find and the approach that we take is a, is a different, we take on a, a slightly different, actually a, quite a bit of different tone with probate leads than we do with normal leads. Um, we're a little, you know, we listen, we care for sure, but there's a, there's a different reason why they're selling. If someone's selling their house because, ah, eh, it's getting too big for us. Our kids have moved out. We're going to go to Florida. It's a happy time. Like you can have a different conversation than if yes. someone just tragically lost their husband or their father or their whatever. Like it's just a different tone. And I think a lot of people just go, here's my marketing piece. And I just blast mm -hmm. it out to everybody. I don't care if it's probate, tax, yeah. foreclosure, whatever it is. Right. You just can't do that. I think it's smart to take a different approach because, you know, the fact of the matter is they are going to get 30 letters. And 20 of them are going to be probably on the aggressive side or the insensitive yes. side at the very least. And then a few more will be a little more sensitive. And how do you separate? And the fact of the matter is you probably don't have to separate yourself from 30 people because the majority of them are not going to do it right. Yeah. You have to separate yourself from the from the few. And, and a lot of times that that little thing like, hey, I'll, I'll take care of the rest of the things that you don't want. Don't worry about it. Leave it there. Like that can be worth so much to someone who just doesn't yes. have any way of doing it. They just they just can't finish the job, and yeah. that's where because uh, I'll I'll ask people what what's your what's holding you up from selling the house because if you know they opened the probate um, and and I by the way I start mailing people say when do you start mailing when they open the pro when they open the probate you don't know if it's been a, a week or a year yep. so but that's a signal that they're ready to move forward but you have to understand that. These people are not only getting rid of their house. In most cases, you're talking. You may be talking to a, a child who lived in the home. They're 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 selling their memories. They're selling their mm -hmm. childhood. Yeah. And you just have to understand where they're coming from. And like you said, they're they're a little bit different, but never. They are so grateful for your help in most cases because once you can take the guilt over them dumping their parents' belongings, and it, 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 it is a guilt thing. They just get to the point where they can't finish the job. If you, if yeah. you ask them, what's holding you up? What What is the thing I can do for you to make you go, move forward with the sale of the house? They'll almost always say, it's this, it's all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. When it comes to probate, is there any advantage to being the first one to contact them, the first letter they received or the last letter do you put any importance on how quickly you get to them once you find that lead once the leads come out um they it takes uh, you know a, a little bit of time to sort through them so we take out anything that's clearly going to be an mls deal that's too expensive we take out really bad areas in most cases because mm -hmm. that it's just not my market. Now, there were times when I had buyers, like you said, that would buy anything. Mm -hmm. If I've got one of those, then that's different. But in general, I'm looking for the the bread and butter, the you know the good the good bread and butter house. Yeah. So um, to keep my list narrowed down and to to focus on those people. But no, I mail everybody every month. Okay. That's my rule. Everybody every month, starting from the time when the probate is opened. Some people, I had one guy that buried his dad and called me the next day. He, he or well, like a week later, he opened the probate the next day. Yeah. So, but that's unusual. 
there's usually a period of time. But this comes back, remember what I said about 90% of the people quit on or before the third mailing. Just start mailing. Be the person that shows up every month to say, how are you doing? How's the estate come, settling the estate coming along? You know, what can I do to help? Be that person. And when they're ready to sell, you'll be there and they'll call you. Yep, absolutely. Now, I understand about the mailing more than three times. Continue mailing them. You mail everybody every month. Is there a, an end date to that when it comes to probate? Do you stop mailing after a certain amount of time? No, I mail till the, uh, as long until I buy the house, someone else buys the house, or it, they would come off my list for some reason. Maybe yeah. they're 100% financed if, if there's nothing I can do with the deal. Yeah. Because probates in this market are going to be over and done with probably from the time they file, you know, 12 to 15 months. Mm-hmm. In 2008, sometimes they would have the idea they were going to list them. And then when they wouldn't sell, they would pull them off the market and call you back and say something like, I remember remember when you offered me 80000 I would pull up the database and go, I remember you, but it was 60000 Yeah. So, <laughs> we had that, kind of, that conversation. So keep really good notes on your offers. Yeah, that's funny. So let's talk about just kind of fast forward to like present day, what we're doing right this second. How has the state of the world with everything that's happening, has it affected your business at all? Have you had to change the way you do things? Well, I mean, here it's harder to get in houses. People don't want you in their houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of probates are vacant, though. So if if you were working probates before, you can continue to work those. But one thing that people should realize at the time we're recording this is the courts in most areas are still closed. Yeah. So we're coming up on three months of a backlog of probates. Guess what? There's going to be a blue yeah. million of them. Yeah. It's going to be a great time if you are in probates because they're going to unleash all of those and then going forward, you know, because everything is just stopped in time. Yep. Absolutely. And that's because just in case anyone's confused listening to this in the future, it's because of uh, the coronavirus right now that people are a lot kind of like, yeah, governments are are shut down in a lot of cases. We have a lot of counties where the Mm -hmm. everything's shut down, like you said. So I I agree. I think there's going to be this this uh, it's like there there was a dam that was built and the water is just building up behind it. And I I really think Mm -hmm. it's going to be a a good time for real estate directly Mm -hmm. afterward. 18 months from now, who knows? But um, right at right right now, basically, we're getting to that tipping point. We're getting close in a lot of states. Well, remember. Remember, a lot of a lot of um, real estate strategies are driven by the market. Certainly, yeah. foreclosures, the REOs. There's lots of them. Probates are immune from the market conditions. Yeah. Because sadly, people pass away every month, and they have to take care of this business. Yeah. So there will you will literally never run out of leads if you add probates to whatever you're doing mm-hmm. already. It's yep. it's. They are recession-proof. Yeah, you're right. It's sad, but there's no such thing as people stop dying, so there's no houses, you know. Um, Well, listen, Sharon, you've shared a ton. You've given tons and tons of value, which I had zero doubt that you would do, and you're very um, transparent about what you're doing, too. Let's talk about what do you have going on right now? Uh, I know something uh, special has just uh, launched for you. Can you, you want to talk about that for a second? Oh, about, you're talking about my course? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I created a course two, two years ago in 2018. It just turned, it just had a birthday, Mike, so oh. it just turned two. And, well, happy birthday uh, to your course. Yeah, happy birthday <laughs> to Probate Investing Simplified. So <laughs> after 10 years of, uh, and really in the beginning years, there was, it was just dig, dig, dig to try to figure it out. I created a course 
that walks people through the process, through the entire process. They learn the terminology. I dive into the mindset of the seller and the investor because there's two sides to this. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talk about marketing. And then at the end, and I, I drip this course down a module a week because I know those people like me who want to go from one to the end to the yeah. fast lane. Yeah. So I drip it down one module a week for six weeks so that they learn the foundational pieces for success. And then in week six, I have a bonus module in direct mail, which they can use in any uh, niche. And I give them a, the complete letters for investor letters for realtor letters and a couple of samples of how to work with probate attorneys. Okay. So I have a bunch of bonuses talk about outsourcing and things like that, but really when, when they uh, invest in this course, they're, they're investing in, in the knowledge. So they will come out at the end of six weeks and be a probate investing expert, but they'll have every single thing they need to market to these folks. They don't have to reinvent the wheel. So it's a complete system. Nice. How do they find that? How do they get their hands on that? Uh, probateinvestingsimplified.com. Awesome. And we will put that link in the show notes. So if you're driving, don't get in an accident. You can just go to the website, Just Start Real Estate. And uh, and I'll have that in the show notes for you. Sharon, listen, thank you. I, I really appreciate you doing this. You're an awesome person. I love, love, love having people like you on. I love knowing people like you because you're one of the good ones. You're legitimately uh, a kind person who cares about the way they do business and conducts themselves. And I, I can't get enough of that. I love talking to people like that. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. It's been great. And uh, don't be a stranger. No, I will not. I will not. As a matter of fact, we'll be talking soon again, I think, here today. Well. So <laughs> I'm going to be I'm going to be on your podcast. So I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to that. Um, but but thanks again for this. I appreciate it. It's been awesome reconnecting with you. It's very invigorating and exciting for me because, like I said, I just I just genuinely like you as a person. So thanks for doing this, Sharon. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. All right. Bye bye. All right, guys, that was cool. I love talking to Sharon, and I really miss having uh, her on the show. It's been a really long time, like we said, but as you guys can clearly hear, she is really, really smart. She knows this industry, and she really knows probate. Uh, some of those tips that she was giving us about probate and things that you can you know, include in your talking points are just super big gold bombs like those things can make all the difference between getting a deal or not getting a deal so i loved having her on i hope you guys really really enjoyed listening to her uh you should pay attention to her she knows exactly what she's talking about and having people on like her with the kind of ethics and morals that she also displays in in addition to being a a highly successful entrepreneur highly successful real estate investor um that's a great combination as far as i'm concerned so i was happy to bring this to you guys if you want to do this business if you want to be in real estate, start your own business and really get going. Listen, it's all there for you. You just have to get out there and just start. So get out there and start. Make today the first day of your new business. All right. We'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks for hanging out until the very end of the show. You know, if you hang on this long, every once in a while, I'll drop in a little nugget, something that you can't get if you don't listen to the end. And I'm going to do that now. Guys, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know that my new book, Level Jumping, is now available on Amazon. And for everyone who's gone out and bought a copy, for everyone who supported me and done that, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. It was a big project for me writing a book. It's not easy. And I poured all of my learning over the last 13 years into this book to try to help you understand how to scale your business responsibly, how to build a team, 
how to create systems and processes that allow you to grow and scale without having to run around crazy. And it is the exact steps that I took to grow my business from a very small business to one that generates over a million dollars in profits each year. So I wanted to put all that into a book and, and make it available to, to you guys. And what I want to do now for those of you, because you've listened all the way to the end of the show, and I really appreciate that. It means a lot. If you go into iTunes or wherever you listen to this show, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever it is, and give me a rating and review and take a screenshot of that rating and review that you just gave me and email it to mike at juststartrealestate.com. Make the subject, subject line review and give me that screenshot. I will send you a digital download of my book, a fully edited, full version of the book, the whole thing. If you've already bought a book, again, I appreciate that very, very much, but you can still participate. You can give me that rating review and I'll send you a digital download of the book. So if you like consuming it on a Kindle or something like that, or on your computer or your, your phone, then you will have that digital download to do that as well. So if you go into that rating review area of whatever platform you listen on, Stitcher, whatever it is, iTunes, give me a rating review, send me a screenshot at mikejustartrealestate.com. I will send you a free digital download of the book. Guys, I appreciate all your support. I appreciate the reviews and I look forward to creating content in the future that you love as well. All right. Thanks guys.